0: Hi, welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy. I'm here with Mark Sayers and Daniel Merton and we are ready for another episode. We couldn't squish all the questions into one episode so we've pushed them out over to, here we are. Uh, we've had a lot of questions that relate to culture uh, and just as I said at the beginning of last episode, we will be uh, releasing a five-episode series that looks at culture and these meta changes that are happening in culture, but there are a few more specific ones that we wanted to explore in more detail in relation to the questions that have come in. So we're going to do that today. Anything you guys want to share with us before we kick
1: off? I just ate a donut.
0: Daniel just ate a donut.
1: I ate a donut too, but we're we're, we're speculating that in these pandemic times, whether they Mm. were cooked yesterday.
0: Yeah, and I don't know what to say to that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, we're all doing our part for the pandemic, but this is a new low. We're happy to be confined to our houses with papers (laughs) and roadblocks and police helicopters flying over us, but... Day-old donuts. (laughs) Day-old donuts, I mean, seriously. (laughs) If you want to break a man's spirit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, um, I've, you know, had to... Dissipate a lot of anger in this yeah. workplace today. Yes, yes. Um, this uh, particular episode, we want to focus on some more um, yeah, specific questions that have come in about culture. And I guess this first one that we're going to explore can kind of go under the banner of what on earth is happening in culture. And many of these questions have been coming in from people in America living and feeling the tensions in real mm. life. What would you say to them?
1: Yeah. I think there's something very unique happening in the US at the moment. I think we've had this global pandemic, mm. which has happened everywhere, um, you know, from Trinidad and Tobago to Vietnam to Norway, and there is this commonality that we're all going through with that. Um, I think there's something particularly unique happening in the US at the moment. Um, there are other countries which have been politically polarised alongside um uh the pandemic like say uh, brazil india with the citizenship alongside Mm -hmm. the pandemic but you know what we're having in america is multi crises at once so in a sense um you know what other countries experiencing is not like the u.s because it's not just like two crises it's multiple crises simultaneously um you have um, the crises, politic, deep political crises of polarisation uh, and increased, I would say now, radicalization of politics. Mm. Um, you have a profound distrust of institutions across the board. Um, you've had a profound, at the core heart of the American financial system, still flowing from the GFC, a profound financial crisis and inequality crisis. Um, Since uh, the George Floyd video, um, and it was already well and truly brewing before then, a crisis around police brutality, particularly towards African-American people, which obviously Mm -hmm. deeply links into the issue of race uh, in the US, which has become so profound. And there's this moment probably not seen since the 1960s of of, of wrestling with the issue of race in in the United States. Um, You have a profound city versus country tension that's happening mm-hmm. um, you have sort of almost like a existential um, thing hitting a number of cities like what is the future of these cities like San Francisco and New York you know, post pandemic and with you know after the protests and so on um, you have um, you know a deep uh, technological disruption as we move to automation and you know robotics and um, Silicon Valley um you have a profound um, environmental challenges. <laughs> uh, you know, I think as we're recording there's fires in Northern California yeah. and you know, a significant hurricane hitting um, uh, Texas and Louisiana. And um, uh, you know, you, you also have this moment where America's been the unipolar power since the fall of the Berlin Wall since 1989, 1990, um, and now the rise of China who is seriously, um, challenging, but also other powers, um, India, and and the rest of the world catching up. Mm. Um, all of these are profound destabilizing things. Um, so, you know, if you're in America and you're feeling this sense of wow, it's it feels crazy. There's a reason for that. Yeah. And what the pandemic has done is, I just think, accelerated all of these things simultaneously. Um, so, you know, it's it's pretty intense. And um, if you feel like it's gone mad. Um, that's true. And and it's interesting. I've been reflecting on it. It's like, it's like so many of these different trends that you see around the world and that trends maybe happening in Eastern Europe or that trends happening, um, in the Middle East. It's like, they're all happening in America at the same time. Yeah. Um, violence is, is another one, you know, like it's, there's not another Western country where you're, I'm just, as we just before we recorded that, you know, you've had shootings at protests and armed militias squaring off and, you know, it's not something you see in any other Western country. No. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think, you know, I just read Bruno Messias, who I've quoted before on here, his book about America. and his, his, his argument is it's less about decline, which many people feel. It's actually more about America transitioning into something new. Um, and, um, yeah, so I, I think it's a transitional moment for the US into something new. And in some ways, I think America's making a break with the West. Um that probably is almost could be a whole podcast in of itself, um, but it's normal that these transitional moments that you feel all these tensions, um, you know, at the same time. The second thing I would say in that, um, and I think this is something that's become more apparent to me since I've written things like Reappearing Church and what I've spoken about on um, uh, this cultural moment is. I've talked about post-Christianity being over the entire West, um, but I think it's become become so clear to me that it's almost like a new kind of post-Christianity is emerging in the US. Maybe it was always there, um, but it's very different to the post-Christianity which we experience in Australia, New Zealand or Canada or Europe. Um, And I would say what's interesting about everything I'm seeing in the US is there is this deep religious framing over all of it. uh, you saw after the George Floyd uh, killing and the subsequent protests, you know, it spill out into you know, Western Europe and you saw it in Brussels, um, you know, rioting around some of the, I guess, you know, deep divisions um, you find in places like Brussels between um, migrants and um, uh, people who are born in Europe. Um, But what's interesting how it plays out in the US, there's this deep religious language around all of it. There's deep religious language around technology and even this desire to become transhuman. There's this deep religious language which infuses the platforms of both the Democrats and the Republicans. And so there's this really interesting moment where America... Uh, you know, the question that has been asked of me so much when I've been in America is, will America become like Europe or will we become like you guys in Australia? And my answer now is like, no, this is something completely different. So I, I would say America is fusing this much more um, religiously febrile, sort of fervent um, post-Christianity where almost like the post-Christian, I think, in lots of Europe and Australia, it's almost like apathetic. Mm. (laughs) uh, That's right. People, you know, we're not trying to be nice people, where there is, I heard someone say, it's interesting, I heard a really interesting conversation between a Jewish Jewish American thinker and a Muslim American thinker, and their both thing was America's stuck in revivalism. So whatever America does, it's going to be revivalist. So it's either going to be a post-Christian revivalism so even, yeah, you know, the question is, you know, will will America finally atone for racism? It's fascinating the Christian language, even mm. used by non-Christians. Um, you know, will finally we atone for the inequality in this country? Will the president be able to be a healer or a hurter? It's all this really fascinating, you know, revivalist language. So I sort of feel like America's gonna have a revival. <laughs> But the people of God need to pray that that's a Christ-centered revival yeah. and, um, you know, a Christian revival. Um, so I think what's happening with America is profoundly different to what's happening. There's some analogies to other places in the world, but there's something profoundly new mm. happening there. Mm. We've got like a bunch of friends and like I know a lot of our listeners are from places like America. Um, what would your encouragement be to them at this time in the middle of this Well, I mean, the the big message that I've been on about for the last little while has been crisis leads to renewal. So if you're having multi-crisis, man, maybe that's the real possibility you have a multi-renewal. And, you know, I I really have sensed, you know, I I really did sense in my last couple of years of visiting the US really regularly that, that things were changing and were heading in this new direction. I could palpably feel it. At the same time, my apprehension around that was also allayed by the sense that I was just meeting wonderful people. Often people who don't realize it, even what God's doing in their life. Humble, hungry people who, you know, are seeking God. Um, who I, I feel like there's there's almost a cohort changing of leadership happening in the US. Mm. Um, I just feel like the Spirit of God is coming against arrogance and platform and power and 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 privilege and and He's he's raising a new generation, and they don't realize it yet. And and they don't realize it yet because perhaps they 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 foresee influence and and leadership and in almost the old paradigms that are currently being pulled down. Um, but I have no doubt there's a remnant and a renewal remnant being birthed in the U.S. even in the midst of this storm. Um, so hope is a really key thing. Humbleness, praying, all the stuff that I've I've later encouraged people to do, have a remnant mentality look to Jesus, contending prayer, mm. uh, uh, you know, uh, platforms being pulled down. Um, you know, uh, the statement I've said a couple of times I think I hear, you know, I felt like God's saying in the last little while he's disassembling platforms and turning that wood into prayer rooms. I just feel that particularly for the US at the moment. So, you know, I know there's people listening to this who are like, man, I'm just scared of what's happening around me, but God's been doing something in them. And I think press into that. Mm -hmm. Um, God will birth something new, a new people in America. Um, And, you know, again, it's it's not even really about America. It's actually about his church um, and rebirthing that in that land. Um, uh, Yeah, so crisis leads to renewal. (laughs) Multi-crisis leads to multi-renewal.
0: Super encouraging. Thanks, Mark. We also have... A number of questions relating to America, but from people outside of America, I'm just going to read you out a couple and hand over to you. How are countries perceiving what's happening in the US with its handling of COVID-19, racial tensions, politics, natural disasters, etc.? And the other one, why are our news feeds dominated by what's happening in the US when there's a whole world out there to be reached?
1: Hmm. Yeah, this, this is a big and growing one um and i think partially this has been exacerbated by a couple things um when you know over the last little while um as america has gone into this place where i guess it's in a sense it's less powerful and less influential in the world at the same time in terms of hard power um, for many years america had soft power um, from Elvis presley to hollywood glamour to Coca-Cola and consumerism, you know, and you know, you think about post-war Europe in the 1960s, there was this deep fear that European culture and classical music and architecture would be overrun by americanism. And part of that fear was driven by the allure, you know, I mean, how do you compete with you know, James Dean and you know, the golden arches in Disneyland?
0: <laughs> I mean, how do you? It's a good question.
1: <laughs> um, and uh, I think what's interesting is America's had this soft power but then I think as America has gone into this multi-crisis in a sense its news cycle has become its primary export hmm. um, you know I think about my kids that they, they watch minecrafters on YouTube you know from weird parts of the world and listen to k-pop and you know they're interested in stuff from all over the world and you know whatever barn me or something and um, <laughs> it's just like the world's become culturally, in terms of music and movies and food and all, that, really multicultural and global. Um, but it's like America switched from Hollywood to cable news and, and Twitter and, and this. So there's this sense where, this really interesting moment where we're locked down and more connected to our local environment than ever before. Mm. You know, we talked about, I think, in the previous episode, how we're so attuned to our state leaders because that's what has almost life and death decisions with us for COVID, it feels like. Um, but it's interesting at that same time, and this is also related to the fact that America, um, its news organizations are so big, you know, like our local papers increasingly just, you know, as, as, local, as the digital revolution is affecting local newspapers, they're just off-sourcing articles to the New York Times. So, mm-hmm. our paper increasingly, you know, is New York Times or New York Post articles just reproduce. So, there's a sense for people all over the world um, that their own story is being swamped by America. That has been there for a little while, mm. but I think what is that the American story and the multi crisis now is it's it's not alluring. It's it's painful and um, really interesting. I heard um, a talk um, earlier in the year by Prime Minister uh, Li Sing Long of um, Singapore, and he said, you know, to to, to guard the multicultural, diverse, multi faith. Um, balance and peace of Singapore we need to guard ourselves against jihadism and the American culture war as a fascinating statement mm. and you know I think a lot of people are feeling that around the world I also would add to that um, there's also a huge backlash against China around the world at the moment there's a there's a massive pushback on Chinese influence we feel that in our own country um, and you know I just was seeing yesterday on the news in Argentina there was huge sort of anti-chinese rights against china you know wanting to move its pork production to buenos aires and um so in a sense you've got this real big pushback against these two influential global superpowers in the u.s and china um i would really encourage people to also particularly if you're doing church to be really connected to your culture Um, I think that to be attuned to actually what's happening in your city and particularly when our stories are hard to hear, when our media is so dominated by America and news, our social media platforms are dominated by America, you can lose track of actually what's happening in your own community and to minister well, um, you almost have to go above and beyond. I just read a book on, um, you know, a Australian book and it was just really interesting just to connect with our own culture. And it's almost you've got to go out of your way to do that and learn things about your own culture because by being passive, you're just going to get American culture. Um, But I think that God, in the midst of this pandemic, one of the blessings is actually this globalized world where in a sense we just were totally could be connected to this digital reality which sort of comes out of Silicon Valley and Hollywood and so on. Um, and sort of cable American news is actually to, again, understand where we've been placed and what God has us here for and to serve our local communities, I think, that, and, and our local cultures. I think there's a real invitation in that space.
0: So the last kind of area we want to touch on in these uh, pivoting episodes is dun dun, dun conspiracy theories. Um, if you're into them or you've heard of them, you'll know about them and those of you who haven't been exposed to them will probably have no idea that they're going on and that's so fine. But we have been receiving a bunch of questions about conspiracy theories and how it's impacting people within churches. So we'd really love to address it. Um, Mark, it's growing, like QAnon, for example, um, as a conspiracy theory, it's growing within the church. What are conspiracy theories and how do we as Christ followers address this and approach it?
1: Yeah. I guess that, yeah, I think how you set that question out is is helpful. There's probably a bunch of people like, what are you talking about? What is QA? Yeah, yeah, This is bizarre. Um, really interestingly, the two most biggest questions I have been sent to me in the last three months mm. one has been, what on earth's going on in America? And the second one has been, can you comment on QAnon can you comment on conspiracy theories and it's not just like that's an interesting thing it's literally like people this is taking over my church yes um and this
0: isn't just like are my donuts a day old no that is a conspiracy (laughs) 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 maybe we'll do a separate episode for that
1: (laughs) yes um okay so there there is a there has been a, a marked increase in conspiracy theories um and QAnon is – could literally – we could do an entire season on what QAnon is and take it apart. The literally 10-second answer (laughs) is QAnon is a conspiracy theory that grew up in the wake of the Trump election, that Donald Trump is fighting a secret battle against an international terrible cabal of people who will be exposed and this particular forum person mysterious figure on a forum called Q gives out these secret messages and people follow them and it's an entire world. Mm. There have now been murders and, you know, almost terrorist attacks around this and it's something that's grown internationally and now is there are actual candidates who are QAnon advocates who are now running for us political positions. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, that's not the only conspiracy theories. Um, There are conspiracy theories um, growing at a rapid rate. Um, And um, okay, to take one step back. Um, Conspiracy theories, um, I would argue, are ultimately at their their core religious. Mm -hmm. Um, Humans are story creatures and we look for stories to interpret the world. And um, I would put a lot of these conspiracy theories under the um, auspices of um, new religious movements. Mm -hmm. So um, religious sociologists talk about new religious movements. Omshuri Yinko, which was the Japanese new religious movement, which almost did the world's worst terrorist attack, um, was close to being the world's worst terrorist attack in the Japanese subway, was a new religious movement that gathered around a messianic figure, um, which was its leader. That's now happening in the digital space. So what you understood about cults and new religious movements before, um, imagine a lot of people saw that documentary series Wild Wild Country about Osho and the orange people in Oregon. Um, That's now happening but in a digital space with people who may never meet each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's a bunch of these. There's not just QAnon. There was a fascinating um, podcast I listened to about Um, how in new religious movements are beginning in Africa and other places around cryptocurrency. Right. And um, uh, there was another one around this fascinating one around social media about these people who had this um, movement where it was like a cult but none of the people were in the same space but they got them to wear the same clothes and do these crimes. It was crazy. So what's happening is we're seeing what humans have always done but it's now taking a digital form. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I would say is that partially this is also in response to... The absolutely insane news cycle. We mm. just, in the last question we talked, people were like, the news cycle of America is now being exported across the world and it's like sending me mad. And one of the responses to that is actually, it actually is sending some people almost into a religious response to deal with all this glut of information. Again, if you go back to information, people, you know, in the... Um, you know 17th century would you know one book on your bookshelf that was the amount of information they would be exposed to in their entire life um every day now we just have a flood of information particularly around the news Mm. the news used to be bracketed to the nightly news or to a newspaper then came cable 24-hour cable then came multiple 24-hour cable stations then came the internet then came social media and so Marshall McLuhan, predicting what would happen with electronic age, said that what it would do is it would take people from the world of the written word, which was the age of the Enlightenment and rationality, and it would put us back into a kind of tribal world. He talked about the global village would be created by the electronic age, yet it wouldn't be a nice village, it would actually be a competing dangerous place. And he said that when people are exposed to so much information they can't process it, Mm. they'll begin to reinterpret with what he called the old mythic patterns. What he's saying there, what he meant is that we'll take a religious approach. So humans who seem to have given up religion in the age of the Enlightenment would return to kinds of religious approaches to deal with so much information in the world. Mm. And I think that's what we're seeing with QAnon. Um, There's a really interesting term but used by Renny Gleeson I read in an article um, called story weapons and so in the world now in a super complex world which has got different countries different actors different political forces marketers people trying to sell themselves stories battle Um, brands no longer sell themselves as just information they sell themselves as stories governments do that Um, so in a sense what conspiracy theories are are stories which explain the world but because humans have a god-shaped hole we process them through our religious um you know part of us i think Hmm. we're god-shaped creatures creatures with a god-shaped hole um so a lot of people are trying to work out how to process this and are looking at it as conspiracy theories and um you know, some of the questions coming in are people like, what happens when someone jumps onto this um, who is a Christian, a loved mm. one, or even when people in churches, um, you know, experience this? I think we, uh, there's one, to, we yeah. read out that one oh. about the church.
0: Yes. Uh, the question that came in asks, is it appropriate to leave my church if in the middle of the pandemic, the majority of congregants and elders buy into conspiracy theories and are against masks and social distancing.
1: Yeah, so there is a dangerous side to conspiracy theories. Um, mm. And we need to understand that conspiracy theories um, are basically, um, you know, are actually story weapons to use that term used yeah. to affect to a purpose. Really interestingly, um, uh, I read the big book that's called The Mitrican Files, which is basically the KGB's files on disinformation campaigns they ran against the West in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s to destabilize the West. One of them was that fluoride kills you. So there was this big thing where they were planting stories in newspapers in the West. Um, The Russians actually deliberately cultivated the story that um, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald didn't operate alone. They planted a story in an Italian communist newspaper, which then went syndicated, and, and they were actually feeding this idea. Why? Because they wanted Americans to not trust their government, and then actually the government actually killed JFK. So there's people who benefit. Um, so much anti-Semitism has actually come from um, a document called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which was a document written by the Russian secret service of the Tsar called the Okhrana, which claimed the Jews were secretly running the world. And this was a book which claimed to have their secret plan. Um, that was created to actually create, destabilize um, um, resistance to the regime at that time. But that's had a whole life of itself. That's still one of the most popular books in the Middle East today. So these stories are often created to actually destabilize people and have um, political ends. Mm. A lot of what we're seeing in terms of conspiracy theories around um, the coronavirus are coming from political origins. Um, as the pandemic was politicised in places like the USA and in Brazil, um, conspiracy theories began to seep out around masks, around the origins, you know, of the virus and so on. And they're flying backwards and forwards. China. Um, has been putting you know, stories in various places that maybe the actual Wuhan, you know, like it wasn't the actual center. It was actually came out of Brazil in sewage samples, you know, and then people have traced the origins of those stories back, and they find they're planted in Chinese newspapers, you know, and so there's this sense that the world is awash in battling stories. Mm. Um, so humans are more religious than we thought. Conspiracy theories speak to a religious desire in us. But with any errant teaching, any heresy, mm. we always need to bring these back to biblical truth. Um, and when something has kinds of religious frameworks over it, which almost compete with the gospel, and QAnon's a classic one, that there is this messianic figure of Q who has the secret knowledge that only yeah. the elect know, and the wicked will be destroyed, and the elect are let in on the secrets. All of this is class. It's this is Gnosticism, this is first century, oh, so, you know, second or third century heresies. Um, So I believe we need to see conspiracy theories actually as false teaching. That's Mm. a really hard, hard one that that person um, asks there. Yeah. Um, I just would say this. I read a book about the 1918 flu, Spanish flu, when the pandemic began. And what really struck me, what was quite an amazing little detail was that some of the best work done to help people with the flu Mm. was actually done by medical missionaries. Many of them women in places like Iran who actually had medical training who then were the first people to record in places like the Middle East and all these places where um, they were saying there's something happening. They were recording stuff and they were helping people deal with pandemic um, prevention. Um, Healthcare and public health is actually a justice issue and um you know i believe that it is not god's will for people to die of terrible terrible illnesses Mm. um people not that long ago had much shorter lives many children died because of things like rubella and um, polio and smallpox and these were eradicated through vaccines and public health initiatives sanitation and so on and christians were at the forefront of that um and I find it sad that we're at this moment where, in some places, Christians are actually seen as the most, um, you know, suspicious of this stuff. I would love Christians to understand that public health is justice. And um, so, for this person here, you know, who's asking that question, that's a really tough one. Leading a church, but if she said to me, um, um, you know, the majority of my church is no longer preaching the gospel of Jesus, or they've abandoned. The Bible is the Word of God, or they've added a fourth member of the Trinity, or whatever errant teaching. Yeah, I would say you need to rethink. So I would say these questions around conspiracy theories are actually errant teaching. Mm. Um, and look again, too, I want to be really clear. This doesn't mean that we sometimes speak truth to power, or we need to ask what our governments are saying. You know, totally. and yeah. there's people who listen to this in in countries where the government are saying um, things, which you know they want to retain power. Um, so that always needs to be there. Um, But just look out when the conspiracy theories that we're believing have a religious architecture to them, Mm. which is competing with biblical faith.
0: Thank you for that response, Mark. And we hope that these uh, little explorations into the many questions that have come in have been helpful to you. Just a reminder that we have a new season coming out very soon five episodes as a starting point um, that explore the meta changes that are occurring in culture across the world um, and we really look forward to sharing them with you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Daniel. We'll see you next time hopefully with fresh donuts.
1: Yes. (laughs) Let's make it the goal.
0: If your interest was piqued listening to anything in that episode about conspiracy theories or QAnon and you have more questions, Mark Sayers was interviewed by Christianity Today on their podcast Quick to Listen in September. The episode is called Why Someone You Love Might Join QAnon. We will pop the link in the episode notes. encourage you to have a listen.